Amen. Well, we will be today looking at 1 Timothy chapter 3 in these verses as uh, we kind of unveil our theme for this year. This is Vision Sunday. We will be unveiling our theme. And church, I am excited about this year. I'm excited about what God has in store. You know, as, as I think about the things of God, the reality is, is I've never known God to not be good. I've never known him to not be gracious. I have never known him to not be great. How many of us can testify this morning that even when life gets hard, and let's not kid ourselves, oftentimes life is very hard. How many of us could testify this moment, this morning, that, that, that even when life gets hard, that we have always found that he knows, that he's near, and that he's enough. Amen. 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 When you think about it that way, church, how could we not be excited about what God has in store for us this year? I tell you, my heart is full this morning. My heart is burdened this morning because I want all that God has for us. I want all that God has for me. When I get to heaven, I want to see that, that by God's grace and for God's glory, that, that we have forged ahead and claimed as much as we could from the gates of hell. In Jesus' name. Now, I warn you, as we consider our theme this morning, this is not something that I'm going to harp on every Sunday morning for the next 50 weeks, okay? And so I'm, I'm not going to do that. But rather, as we consider our theme this morning, what I'd like for it to do is to be a truth that helps to frame us. It helps to frame our hearts. It helps to frame our minds. It helps to further us as a rallying cry of sorts. And so this morning, I want to develop this theme from 1 Timothy 3. But let's look together verses 14 and 15 as we get started this morning. Paul wrote, These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. If you're taking notes this morning, note, uh, point number one is I want us to see the truth about the church. Want us to see this morning the truth about the church. Paul says clearly here in verse number 15 that the church is the house of God. And in case you missed it, in the very next breath, he says it is the church of the living God. The church is the Lord's. It belongs to him. Interestingly enough, our English word church comes from a word that literally means belonging to the Lord. Not belonging to the people, not belonging to the pastor, but belonging to the Lord. And so let me say emphatically as we start this morning that all of this belongs to Him. It is His to direct it is His to use. It is His to mold. It is His. All of it belongs to Him. The Lord makes much of His church. It's good for us just to pause every once in a while and be reminded of these truths. It's His church. And as we look at the Scriptures, you know what we find? We find that the Lord makes much of His church. 
And if the Lord makes much of his church, it's not a big leap for us to say that we ought to as well. He speaks of and to his church often. In fact, in the New Testament, it speaks of the church some 117 times. The Lord speaks of his church passionately. In Acts chapter 20 and verse number 28, we see the truth that the church was purchased with his own blood. There in that verse, go back to the beginning, we'll read the whole thing. The Apostle Paul says to the Ephesian elders, Take heed therefore unto yourself and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. Now, I will tell you, there are very few things that I would die for. Very few things. Oh, there are a lot of things that I'm willing to make a fuss about. I took Christopher to a hockey game last night. Didn't go well for the home team. You know, sometimes hockey can be a little bit rowdy. I may have stood up once and yelled, somebody give him a towel to dry his tears. Sit down, you bum. Just for Christopher's sake. You know, I want him to get the full experience. Man may not have said some other, I know. There are some things that we'll get all riled up about, right? But I'm going to tell you, there are very few things I'd die for. That hockey player turned around last night and said, come down here and make me. You know what I would have done? Come on, son, it's time to go. (laughs) Why? Because it ain't worth dying for. But the Lord Jesus looks at his church. And from eternity past, he is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He said, you know what? That's worth dying for. They're worth dying for. And he purchased the church with his own blood. Oh boy, the Lord speaks passionately of his church. It was purchased with his own blood. Hey, (laughs) he calls the church his bride. Ephesians 5, we see this analogy that Paul makes and he shows how the church is the bride of Christ. In 2 Corinthians 11, in verse number 2, Paul points out to this church that he was jealous over them with a godly jealousy. For he had espoused them to one husband that he might present them a chaste virgin to Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. By the way, there really should be no more passionate relationship, humanly speaking, than that between a man and his wife. You want to see a man get passionate? Mess with his wife. Lord Jesus could have picked any analogy. He could have picked any description. He could have picked any relationship. And yet he looked at us. He looked at the church. And he said, that's my bride. The Lord is passionate about his church. You look at the New Testament and the Gospels, prepare the way. Acts shows the birth and early growth of the church. The epistles, all of those letters, they were written written to churches. They were written to pastors. Even the book of Revelation starts with letters to churches. I'm going to tell you what, if God is passionate about his church, we ought be too. We ought be too. Well, this brings an important question. What is the church? Because here's the thing, you you ask this question, you go out on the street, you ask it to 10 people, you'll get 10 different answers. By the way, unfortunately, sadly, you ask what is the church to church members, oftentimes you'll get 10 different answers as well. But here's the thing, we don't get to make it up as we go. What is the church? 
Well, the word for church comes from a Greek word, ekklesia. And it is a word that literally means a called out or a called together assembly. Now, it is a general word that refers to a select group that comes apart, comes together for a select purpose. Let me give you an example. This word could have been used of a city council. And so what is the city council? It is a select group of people who come together for a select purpose. Now, it's important that we understand the emphasis of this word. The emphasis of this word was not on the individual. And so the city councilman could not raise his hand and say, I am the ecclesia. No, that would not have fit. That would not be how this word is properly used. Well, what if the city council got together at, at city councilman Bob's house? Or city councilwoman Nancy's. We're equal opportunity here, okay? And, uh, and they got together at city councilwoman Nancy's house. And, and they had a barbecue. Well, they're all together. But even in that context, they would not say, we are the ecclesia. No, that term would apply when those councilmen were together in council chambers for council purposes. And so the emphasis of this word is not on the individual The emphasis of this word is on the assembly or the assembling. Now this doesn't minimize the individual, but this shows us the emphasis God has on the assembling of his people. It's no surprise then that we find in Hebrews 10 and verse 25 that the Bible says not forsaking the assembling. Of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now I'm going to tell you, as you look, we mentioned earlier that the New Testament speaks of the church some 117 times in the New Testament. As you look at it, upwards of 114 of those references refer to a local assembly. Because what is church? Church happens... When God's people come together for God's purposes. Church happens when God's people come together for God's purposes. As we consider the truth about the church this morning, might I suggest to us, might I tell us, according to God's word, this is his house, this is his church, this assembly matters to God. I find it interesting that in our day and age, there is, a, there is really a strong push to minimize the assembling of God's people. So much so that you see things like, well, I don't really go to church. I just, I just want to be the church. That doesn't really fit what that word means. Because church is when God's people come together for God's purposes. Not at the barbecue at so-and-so's house, but when God's people come together for God's purposes. This assembly matters to God. It is His. It is purchased with His blood. It has been selected to be a part of His bride. This assembly matters. It matters. And so here's the truth about the church. It's his, and it is his to do with as he pleases. He is passionate about it, and so should we. But if God has called you here, or God is calling you here, this assembly matters, and you need to be here. 
The truth about the church is if God has called you here or God is calling you here, this assembly matters and you need to be engaged. The truth is that that it all belongs to him and there is a significance here that we cannot afford to cast off. Because church matters. Church matters. And so we see the truth about the church. But did you catch it at the end of verse number 15? Let's look at that verse one more time. He said, but if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. Read those, read that last phrase with me together. The pillar and ground of the truth. We need to read it again because we're going to park here for a few minutes. Ready? The pillar and ground of the truth. One more time. The pillar and ground of the truth. Not only do we see the truth about the church, but I also want us to see this morning the task of the church. After pointing out that the church is the Lord's and it belongs to Him, that this assembly matters because it belongs to God, Paul talks and says here that the church is given the task of being the pillar and the ground of truth. Here we find two important responsibilities that have been given to the church. First of all, we are the pillar of the truth. What is a pillar? A pillar is a column that is used to lift up, to support, or sometimes even display something. The church is called to be the pillar of the truth. To lift it up, to support it, to display it, so that it can be declared to all the world. The church is tasked with holding up the truth for all to see. I'm going to tell you, many in this world are searching for something real. We have the truth. I'm going to tell you, many in this world are searching for some remedy that can, be, that can treat the emptiness that they are living. I'm going to tell you, we have the truth. We have the truth. Church, we ought never apologize for the truth. Well, the truth really isn't, you know, there's a lot of things in this book that, that really aren't politically correct these days. And, and, and I'm just not sure what they think about it on Facebook or YouTube. Or I'm not sure what they think about it in the neighborhood or, or at the family reunion church. We need to stop apologizing for the truth. Now, I'm not saying be a jerk for Jesus, okay? There's no crowns in heaven for the Jerks for Jesus Club. But, but you can uphold the truth without being a jerk. Church, don't apologize for the truth. Church, don't water down the truth. We need to be the light that God has intended us to be. Jesus said, does a man light a candle and put it under a bushel? No, he puts it on a candlestick for all to see. We are the pillar of truth. I'm going to tell you, when they look at us here in town, when they watch us on Facebook or YouTube, they ought to see, they ought to see, they ought to see and hear the truth. Church, hold it up, hold it up, hold it up, hold it up. Hold it up for all to see. Don't apologize for it. Don't water it down. Why? Because it's what people need. We're called to be the pillar of truth. We're also called to be the ground of truth. 
What is the ground? The ground is a, is a bulwark. It's kind of like that, that raised earth that, that, that people would move, sometimes to be a support, but more often designed to be a defense. So, so not only are we to declare the truth is the pillar, but we are to defend the truth as the ground or the bulwark. Church, truth is under attack. Truth is under attack. And those who stand for the truth are under attack. But ours is a sacred trust. Ours is a sacred task to defend the truth. I want to share my heart this morning a little bit. There is truth. I don't care what the world says, there is truth. It's not all relative. And it's not all some spectrum that's open for interpretation. There is truth. There is reality that cannot be denied. Here's the thing. God said it and it still holds true that male and female created he them. Period. God said it, and it still holds true. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. God said it, and it still holds true. It's not up for discussion. It's not up for debate. And I'm going to tell you, this world is doing their dead-level best to tear down every semblance of reality that exists, But they can't because there is truth. No matter how many videos they put up mocking it or denying it, they can't change it. And church, somebody needs to stand up and declare it and defend it. There is truth. But I say as well that not only is there truth, but there is right. That this world is not just what works for me. But just like there is a reality that cannot be denied, there is a righteousness that cannot be denied. There is right and there is wrong. There is truth and there is right. And here's the thing, Harvest. We cannot afford to delegate this responsibility to anybody else. Hear me, church. It is not a political party's job to declare and defend the truth. It is the house of God's job. It is the church of the living God's job. And the sad thing is, is a lot of times political parties want to try to define and declare and and defend it more than we do. On one side or the other. It ought not so be. It's not a political party's job. Here's the thing, mamas and daddies. it's It's not the school system's job to declare and defend the truth. It's the church's job. It's the mamas and daddies in the homes' job. It is our job to declare and defend the truth. The church of God, the church of the living God. And I'm going to tell you, because of that, I would say without apology and really without hesitation 
that because of that, the church is the single most important aspect of any community. Because here's the thing, what happens when truth falls? What happens when truth is no longer declared, when truth is no longer defended? What happens? What happens to a culture? What happens to a society? Look around. Look around. You'll see a lot of it. You know, we don't have to look far to see what happens when God is removed from culture and society. The psalmist in Psalm 53, verse 1 and then verse 3, he said this, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Corrupt are they. And have done abominable iniquity. There is none that doeth good. You go to verse 3. He says every one of them is gone back. They are altogether become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. I tell you, my heart breaks for, for the world around me. This world has gone nuts. Why? Because they have removed God. Because they have removed God. And so what do we see when truth is removed? Chaos. I'm going to tell you, we live in a day and age of sexual chaos. We live in a day and age of unfathomable violence, addiction, abuse. Seems like every week I'm reading a story about another man or woman who's spent thousands of dollars to try to turn themselves into an animal or turn themselves into a machine. In our society, we kill the weak. We, we've even come to the place where we've glorified killing ourselves. So-called civilized nations are passing, passing euthanasia laws where, 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 where people can just decide, eh, I'm done. But we shouldn't be surprised. You see, for several decades now, we have, in our society, taught, taught people and especially taught children that they're nothing more than animals. You know, you come from the monkey and you come from this and you come from that. Here's the thing, guys. If we spend decades teaching people they're animals, why are we surprised when they act like them? I mean, we shouldn't be surprised with what we get. The, the breakdown of society is happening at a rapid rate all around us. We, we, I referenced earlier the, the structure that God has declared for the home. You know, God still intends for men to lead their home. Not as many amens right there, but I'm going to leave it there because it's, God's, it's, it's the truth. God intends for men to lead their home. Now here's the thing, here's the thing, we've had all this liberation movement for the last several decades and uh, you know, uh, uh, ladies growing up hearing, uh, you don't need no man, uh, growing up to say, I don't need no man, and so we, we put that out there over and over and over again, then we look around and we go, huh, I wonder what happened to all the men. No man, God has still called you to lead your home. They can call it what they want, but they can't change what God has said. Church, we don't have to look far to see what happens when truth becomes a casualty. But it's our job to declare it and to defend it with all that we are. I'm going to tell you, church matters. Church matters. And church, it is time to stand up. 
and to do what God has given us to do. This morning we've seen from Paul the truth about the church, how it belongs to God. We have seen the task of the church, how, how we've been given the task of being the pillar and the ground of truth to declare and defend the truth. One more this morning. Look at verse number 16 if you would. There the Bible says, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. We've seen, number one, the truth about the church. We've seen, number two, the task of the church. Uh, might, might, I see, might, might we see here, number three, from verse 16, the triumph of the church. Without controversy, Paul says. Without controversy. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Here's the thing. God's work done God's way cannot fail. The gates of hell shall not prevail against his church. God's work done God's way cannot fail. I love that thought because then it just makes sense for me to invest my life and to make much of what doesn't fail. You see, we as a church have a present surety. Paul says here, without controversy. It's not up for debate. It's not up for discussion. It is the crux of it all. Peter said, Matthew 16, verse 16, we saw this last week. Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said in verse number 18, I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock, that rock that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, upon this rock will I build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Who Jesus is and what Jesus has done is the rock that will not fail. And it will be our rock. And it must be our rock, our foundation, our source, our strength of our unity, of our ministry, of our vision, of our pursuit. I'm going to tell you, a lot of things will fail us in this life. Money will fail us. Health will fail us. People will fail us. He will not. He will not. And we will triumph because he is true. The triumph of the church, we have a present surety. We have a powerful sufficiency. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world. Praise God for the simple yet sufficient gospel message. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 3, Paul wrote, For I delivered unto, you, delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Now hear me, this is the message that the world needs to hear more than any other. This is the message. This is the message. 
That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried and rose again. You see, there's so many issues out in the world. So many issues. Right now they're fighting about gas stoves. Have you seen that? That's the dumbest thing in the world, right? Well, it's just another symptom of government overreach. And it may be, but it's still the dumbest thing in the world. Dumbest thing in the world. <laughs> the problem is, is you got Christians and churches jumping here and jumping there and, and this and this and this. And we're just trying to, basically every Sunday, we're trying to address the weekly news cycle. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it, stop it, stop it. That's not what the world needs. The world doesn't need a biblical exposition on gas stoves or electric cars or global warming. What the world needs is that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures. This is the message. This is the message that saves anyone and everyone who receives it. I'm going to tell you, we can't always address everything individually. And there's a lot of churches and Christians who fall prey to trendy psychobabble. Every week is just either a counseling session or a news recap. We can't address every issue individually all the time. But here's the thing. We can address every issue comprehensively. Why? Because Jesus is the Christ. The Son of the living God. You know, when Paul went to Corinth, that, that place was messed up. That place was me- You think we live in sexual chaos. That place was messed up. You think our government's messed up. That place was messed up. If the Apostle Paul wanted, he had a thousand different issues he would have had to address. And yet in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse number 2, you know what he said? For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Why, Paul? Why? Why not address all of the peripheral things? Paul, why not get into all of... Why not get into the weeds, Paul? Why just that? Why? Because Jesus is the answer. And He still is. I believe it with all my heart. Jesus is still the answer. And there is a sufficient power of the gospel an overcoming power of the gospel Romans 1 in verse number 16 Paul said for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek I love what Leonard Ravenhill said he said Jesus didn't come into the world to make bad men good but to make dead men live oh man and that's the difference Jesus didn't come to reform this place. He came to redeem it. He didn't come to reform you. He came that you might be born again. Why is the church triumphant? Because the message we have is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Here's the thing this morning. No doubt in the crowd this size, there are some here. You've never put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. Hear me when I say this. It's not about a church. Yeah, we're talking a lot about the church matters, but it's not about a church. It's not about being a Baptist or being this or being that. I've said it before. I'll say it again. You might wear your Baptist name tag proud, but it'll either fall off in heaven or burn off in hell. But, but it ain't doing you no good, really. 
It's not about a church. It's not about a pastor. It's not about a denomination. It's about Jesus and what he's done. And, and, and really, in all honesty, it really doesn't matter about what you've done. You say, well, preacher, you don't know what I've done. I don't, I don't need to know what you've done. I don't need to know. Well, preacher, I've messed up. And preacher, I've got broken relationships. And preacher, there's so much brokenness and trauma in my past. And preacher, there's addiction. And preacher, there's this. And preacher, there's that. Here's the thing. I, Jesus is the answer. And the reason I don't really need to know what you've done is because I know what he's done. And since our sins separated us from him, we couldn't get to him. He came to us. For God so loved the world. He gave His only begotten Son. God demonstrated, manifested His love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, He died for us. See, when we couldn't go to Him, He came to us. Because the wage of my sin, your sin, all of our sin, the wage of our sin is death. The Bible says, He died my death that I might receive His life. He makes that available, that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you're here this morning and you've never received the Lord Jesus as your Savior, why not trust Him today? Why not receive Him today? He is what you've been looking for. He is the answer. He will give you new life. Not just better life. He'll give you new life. Abundant life. Eternal life. Don't let what you've done keep him from what he's done for you. Don't let the person sitting next to you and what they might think or they might say keep you from being able to rule and reign next to him for all eternity. If you're here this morning and you've never received the Lord Jesus as your Savior, would you get it settled today? In just a few moments, we're going to have a time of invitation, and I want to invite you to get my attention. If you're a lady, I'll have a lady take the Bible and show you how, how, show you, how you can receive what God's done for you. If you're a man, I'll have a man take the Bible and uh, show you how you can receive what God has done for you. There is a powerful sufficiency. Why the church triumphant? <laughs> oh, because we have a present surety. Without controversy, we have a powerful sufficiency. God, manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world. Why the church triumphant? Because we have a promised satisfaction. That verse says Jesus was received up into glory. You know, Jesus defeated death, hell, and the grave. When Jesus ascended into heaven, he didn't sneak back defeated and ashamed. Well, Father, I gave it my best shot. No, he rose victorious. He rose with the keys of death and hell. He didn't slink back to heaven. No, he rose in glory. He rose in victory. He ascended in glory. The right hand of the Father, He's there interceding for us. Romans 8 and verse number 34 reminds us of that. Who is He that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. He rules, He reigns in powers. And let me tell you again, not only was He received up into glory, He is coming again in glory. 
we will forever share his triumph over sin, death, and the grave. Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 5, Paul wrote, when we were, Even when we were dead in sins, have quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and have raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Church, hear me. We see here the triumph of the church because Jesus is coming again. And hear me, when Jesus comes again, every right, every wrong will be righted. And when Jesus comes again, every sacrifice will be rewarded. Romans 8 and verse number 18 reminds us that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. And hear me, I know many of us in this room have suffered deeply. We have lost deeply. We have given deeply. We have suffered deeply. But the glorious reality is that all that we have experienced and the burdens that we have carried and the cross that we have borne is nothing to be compared with the glory that awaits. Hey, he is received in the glory. We are on the winning side. And what a beautiful thing to think that in this age, the church is the vessel by which God is turning this world upside down. For his glory. And so you've probably figured it out by now what our theme is. Our theme for this year is simply this. Church matters. Church matters. Because it's owned by God. It is significant to him. Because of the task we've been given. The church of the living God is to be the pillar And ground of truth. Because of the triumph we've been promised. No other is equipped and no other are promised like the church. Church matters. And I'm going to tell you, we can't afford to belittle or blow by what God makes much of. Church matters. As I close this morning, again, I... I ask to those who are here who don't know the Lord Jesus as their Savior, can I say this? There is no perfect church. If you're looking for a perfect church, you'll never find it because all churches are made up of imperfect people. We all bring our brokenness, right? So if you're looking for a perfect church, you won't find it here. But what we would like to do is introduce you to our perfect Savior. And his perfect salvation. If you're here today and you've never received the Lord Jesus. Would you make today the day. When you put your faith and trust in him. Christian. As I said at the outset. I'm not going to harp on this for the next 50 weeks. But this ought to frame us this year. Because what God is doing here at Harvest matters. What God is working here at Harvest matters. What God has planned for us here at Harvest matters. And so I ask this morning, even as we consider 
the truth that we need to submit to about God's ownership of the church. As, I, as we consider this morning the, the task that we have been given to declare and defend the truth, that is our job. Our job. As we seek to take the heart to the reality that we are on the winning side. Victory is secure. That we stop this morning and since church matters, we commit to God to be here. We commit to God to be involved, to utilize the gifts he has given us. We, we commit to God to be open to what he wants to do in our midst. Boy, I think it'd be good for some husbands and wives and even some families this morning just to bow in prayer together and to commit these things before God. But even in our commitment, I ask as well, church, would you pray? Would you pray for this place? Because the gates of hell would love to slow us down. Church matters to God. If it matters to God, it should matter to us.